Episode 17 of the Bowery Capital Startup Sales Podcast. I got my first real six string, bought it at the five and done. Played it till my fingers bled. Was a summer of 69. Welcome back to the show, podcast listeners. I'm here today with Whitney Hillier. We're going to talk about unique angles on customer success. She right now is the director of customer success at Bitly, New York State, New York SaaS company. Welcome to the show, Whitney. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, so give the listeners a little bit of background on Bitly and you sort of prior and, and your current role? Sure, absolutely. Um, so things like, uh, as you mentioned, I'm the director of customer success at Bitly. A lot of you guys know us, we're the premier link shortener on the web, right? So we shorten about 500 million links a month So uh, and see about 8 billion clicks. So a huge portion of the internet actually runs through Bitly. And what some people may or may not know is we actually have a, a full enterprise suite of products called Bitly Brand Tools. Uh, we have about 1,200 uh, enterprise customers, uh, 21 of the 25 top global brands uh, in the world, 37 of the top 50 publishers in the world. So we see we have we have a really great customer base, um, pretty large and, and wide in terms of the type of customers that we have and see uh, every day. Huge scale. How, and how big, I don't know if you can mention, but sort of how big is the company? Where, where are you guys at today? Sure, yeah. No, we're, we're doing great. We doubled revenue year over year uh, in 2014, so we're pretty excited about that. Um, and, and things have been going well. I mean, it's very, very strong growth, uh, again, with, with 1,200 customers that are growing day-to-day. -day. How many employees now? Um, we have about 65 employees, oh, and wow. we uh, just opened our San Francisco office like this month, so Perfect. we're pretty excited about that. That's great. Give me a, ba a little bit of background on you. So you've obviously been in customer success for some time now. What what sort of is your background and, and how did you get into this? Yeah, sure. So the way I kind of got into customer success, I was actually working for HomeDepot.com down in Atlanta and uh, was doing some, some mobile and social stuff for them. And when I decided to move to New York uh, for family reasons, one of the small SaaS startups that were, was actually one of my vendors when I was at Home Depot said, hey, why don't you come up and work for us and run our account management department? I think it was secretly a way of trying to ensure that they had the Home Depot business for a long time. But uh, <laughs> That's how it works. But uh, I came on board and, and really started their customer success program there, which was great. Um, and they, they did a they, it was a mobile marketing company at the time, and um, and then from there grew that team, and uh, and then came over to Bitly about two and a half years ago now. Perfect. Uh, before we dive into this topic of unique angles on customer success, what is something that no one on this podcast would know about you? Oh gosh, uh, something that no one would know. So um, I have pretty extensive crisis training, crisis management training. Interesting. So. Um, I did that through college and uh, for a while after college, and so I, I definitely think that helps <laughs> in, uh, in managing customers sometimes. It certainly does. I'm sure you use that skill every single day. Yes, 
Yes. <laughs> um, well, let's get into it. So the topic of the discussion, as we said, is unique angles on customer success. You know, why is this important? Why should, if you're a young software founder, why, why do you care about this really? Yeah. So, you know, I think customer success is kind of a new movement. Um, you know, you'll see a lot of people who say like, okay, customer success, account management, but it's, it's a lot more than that. And I think really the reason why this is so important is because when you look at companies that are, you know, I, I call them customer obsessed, right? I try to use the, like every, every new customer, every new company out there needs to be customer obsessed, right? Because, um, you know, we can build things to build them, but the companies that tend to be doing really well are the ones who focus in on what their company, what their customers wants, needs are, and then really build to, you know, to, to build for those customers. Sure. And sort of competition in the market. If you're not careful with that, you'll obviously get killed, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and what people, you know, when you when you go through the literature, what you read is like, you know, if we we look at companies who, and you said, hey, we if we never turned a client, think of how much further we would be. You right. know, these companies that are focused on recurring revenue, really keeping those clients, keeping them happy, and growing them is so important for the health of the business. Right, makes sense. Um, so you are, a, you know, a little hypothetical. You're a young. SaaS founder, you've probably sold yourself the first 5, 10, 20, 50 accounts. You have an okay business. When do you really start to think about customer success? Is this something sort of from day one? How, how do you kind of coach people and, and what do you sort of suggest? Yeah. I mean, I think you have to be thinking about customer success from the beginning. It doesn't necessarily mean that you need to hire a customer success team um, on day one or, or, you know, when you get your first customer. But again, making sure that, you know, once you have sort of that base of business and making sure that you have people who are, are solely focused on them, because what they need to do is they need to not just, you know, manage those clients, keep them happy, renew them, answer their questions, train them, that kind of stuff. But they also have to take all of their feedback and they really have to loop that in with product. So I try to tell people all the time not to necessarily, like when you think of customer success, you actually sort of have to couple that with both sales and product because the customer success team plays such an integral role in both of those things. And when you're looking at product development, you really have to make sure you have those, you know, customer success professionals who can, you know, take what the customer says and, and translate it into, you know, conversations with the product team. And, and at Bitly, you guys are sort of the, the cu- customer. It's interesting to think of it not in a silo like that. The customer success team really, at least at Bitly, spans the whole gamut, I guess. It does. So we actually sit on the product teams. So oh, wow. we, have, we have multiple product, uh, you know, we have obviously our product team and then we have like you know, every single set of sprints, we have like different, you know, sections and there is a customer success manager that sits on each of those teams. So we go to every single meeting. We're in all of the planning. We're in all the prioritization meetings and we actually, uh, have a, have a pretty big voice in those meetings. And it's generally, they're talking to the customers day to day. So they are really direct information from said customers on what matters and doesn't, right? It is. And it's, and it's really two-sided, right? So we get the information from the customer and we, then bring that to the product team and say, hey, this is what people like, don't like what they want. But also when the product team says, hey, we really want to test this new idea, we'll go then and pull the product team in with the clients. We'll say, hey, we think this would be really beneficial for these 10 customers. We're going to get them to join the beta program. We're going to get, you know, 30-minute conversations set up with you and the product team. So the conversation goes both ways. It's helpful for us to relay information from clients to product, and it's it's helpful for us to take product and actually get them in with the customers when they have like new and exciting ideas to understand if they would be valuable or not. That makes sense. So how do you, how do you coach people on getting this set up? So, you know, think about it from day one, obviously be maniacal about it before we dive into kind of hiring a person for this role. Are there 
sort of solutions that you guys thought about maybe from the mobile marketing experience and then and then here at Bitly in terms of, you know, tactical IT that a company needs or has to set up from day one to actually execute on this. Obviously, you, you've you have probably a CRM for managing, you know, lead through to, to closed one, but is there is there something that bolts onto that or an additional effort that needs to transpire? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, the first thing, especially with a young company, is you're probably doing some sort of marketing automation. So, you know, coupling that with your CRM to do a lot of the, the outreach that maybe you can automate, right? So whether that's, you know, making sure that you're continuously marketing to your customers or setting up, you know, automated renewal notices or things like that, just to take, you know, again, when you're a young team and you don't have a ton of people resources, trying to do as much of that from an automated perspective, automated check-ins, quarterly reviews, things like that, um, can be really helpful to do, uh, through the CRM. The other big one I would say is, uh, a, some sort of a support system. So whether that's, you know, video tutorials, trainings, um, you know, a support center so that people can try to answer a lot of their questions on their own um, can be really valuable as well. We actually just rolled out one, a new one at Bitly, a new support center, and pretty much overnight took our support tickets from, you know, two or 300 a day to 20 to 30 a day. So pretty substantial uh, a decrease in that. Um, and did you bit did you build that yourself or was there a, do you use a vendor for that? Or yeah. Not? So we use a third party for that. And, um, but, but we sort of built all the knowledge base articles. I think we wrote over 50 or 60 new knowledge base articles and, um, it actually connects to the CRM. So if someone writes into support, we can connect it to, you know, that account, or if it's a free user and we think it might be a lead for our enterprise product, we can actually connect all of those dots. Uh, what are some, and just for the audience, what are some vendors that, you like on this side? Yeah. So, um, you know, there's desk.com, which is owned by Salesforce. Um, user voice is a, is another great one. Pretty simple to use. Zendesk, um, is one of the premier leaders out there. So those are three, we actually have experience with all three over the past, you know, four or five years at Bitly. Got it. But so really as a founder to lower your, you know, time spent dealing with a lot of minutia, create some portal or system by which people can generally answer questions on their own and, mm -hmm. and, get the feedback a lot faster, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and even things like, you know, video tutorials. And when, when I started at Bitly, I actually just recorded myself doing trainings. And that way, if a new team member came on board or there was turnover, which happens a lot, you know, in, in um, so, you know, our space is social. So kind of in the social sphere, we, we've seen a lot of turnover with clients. We can just send them a training tutorial versus having an account manager actually get on the phone and train them. Got it. And how do you think about so, so what are the tasks that the, you know, high value account manager or whoever, you know, if it's a young company, the, the founders or the salespeople are, should be really spending their time on, if not this sort of, you know, question and answer type of stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, I think training is really, really important. So the first thing we try to do is get on the phone with customers and understand really what are their business goals and objectives? Why did they buy the product? Um, in certain cases, they may already know that, but you know, what, what problem were they trying to solve by buying our product? Once you understand that, you understand their key goals and objectives for, I try to like talk to them on a quarterly basis, also on a yearly basis if possible, um, understanding what those are and then really, really diving deep and training them on the tool in exactly the way that they want to use it. So not just your generic, like, Hey, let me walk you through every single report we have, but actually saying, Hey, based on your needs and objectives, here's what I think you should focus on. And here are some best practices that we've seen from other people that, you know, look like you or have the same objectives as you, as you do. What we've seen is that the quicker you can get someone onboarded and trained and the more extensively you can train them, substantially less churn, which I think makes sense. Sure. And ha so do you have individual sort of 
OKRs or KPIs that, that your account managers need to go, you know, you talk about sort of the quarterly check-ins and doing sort of a, a, a web-based overview of the platform that correlates to them. Do you have, do, do you think it's, or maybe is it smart for founder to, or, or a, you know, the first hire in to have kind of that checklist so that they know the, the repeatability with every single customer? Yeah. I mean, I think you have to put in a model that's scalable, right? Um, especially when you look at, you know, growing these growing companies. So, you know, things like here, you know, after this many days, they should be trained, set up, onboarded, you know, quarterly reviews, annual reviews, um, check-ins, things like that. And uh, as I said before, sort of automate as much of that stuff or as much of the reach outs as possible. So you take out that level of human error of, oh, I didn't realize it was 60 days before the renewal and I forgot to reach (laughs) out, um, which happens um, fairly often, unfortunately. But um, so, you know, automating as much of that stuff as possible. But I think one of the things that's really important to understand these growing companies is that, especially at the beginning, all your clients are probably going to be a little bit different and making sure that you're sort of customizing it to a client's need. Um, it, I think is just as important as sort of having that checklist. Like have some guardrails, but clearly they're all going to be different. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you're going to have, especially, you know, one of the things we've actually struggled with at Bitly is that none of our clients look like, like even right, when right. you took it, take two clients that you think are going to look exactly like, like Visa and MasterCard, they're actually very different. Their goals, objectives, how they're using the tool, what they're looking at, what team purchased the tool within the organization, very, very different. So making sure that you have those guardrails, but also trying to customize it as much to the client and their needs as possible, I think is really important. And, and really, just to sort of cement that the thinking earlier, really getting them through the product in as deep away as possible in your opinion is highly correlated to churn prevention, right? So, yeah. As deeply as possible and honestly, as quickly as possible. Um, meaning sort of once you close the, the account or. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So like one of the things you'll find really interesting and we've seen this is that people will sign and like they'll go on vacation or they'll, you know, right. Oh, my team's not ready. Oh, it takes me three weeks to get the team together. And what I try to get my guys to do in that situation is even if you're only training two people and then you've got to do another training three weeks later, it's worth it to get them up and running and using the tool. You don't want them two months in to look back and go, Oh, we never really got trained and we never really got set up. And now we want to start, we want to push the contract or we want two months back. Right. Or things like that, which does happen. So will you, is, and, and then will you have a sort of customer and sales oriented goal of once the handoff is made, how fast we can sort of get them on a call or, or get them through a demo? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think okay. one of the things we, I have like automated reports of any client that hasn't been onboarded within 15 days. So oh, amazing. Okay. we like for our account managers, like they, their customer success managers have to fill in like the date that they're trained and yeah. I'll get a report sort of dinging me saying, Oh, by the way, this client hasn't been, it's been 15 days and they haven't been trained. And that's sure. sort of a red flag for me that like something's going on here and you make sure that I, I follow up on it. Super important. Yeah. Um, maybe to turn a bit towards hiring for customer success. When do you think about this? Is it zero clients, 20 clients, 500 clients, you know, as, as a founder, you obviously are starting to build scale and, and get business that you clearly don't want to lose. Um, what are your views or, or, how, or how should a, a younger founder be thinking about, customer success and, and when is appropriate to have a sort of some, a person dedicated to it? Yeah. So, I mean, I think, um, it's going to be different for every company, obviously it depends how customized your solution is, how right. big the, you know, 
problematic the implementation can be. Um, but I think you have to start thinking about it right away, whether or not you do it, you know, when your first customer, five customers, I, I wouldn't wait more than five or 10 customers personally. But, um, you know, I think you also, you have to sort of decide that, um, you know, my time as a founder or my time as, you know, a new VP of sales or, or, you know, CTO or whatever it is that, you know, I need to be out, you know, getting new business of understanding the market of building the product. And you, while, the customer success piece is incredibly important and it, it needs focus of its own um, yeah. and having somebody do that. The other nice thing about customer success, if you hire the right person, I think is that person can actually wear a lot of hats in a startup. Um, normally you're going to try and find someone who has some sales experience. Um, you're going to find someone who has the, the you know traditional customer success account management background, but also someone who is really comfortable with the product of being with being on the product team. And even sometimes I'll, I'll find customer success managers, especially in early stage startups who are also doing like accounting and AR. Um, and I don't necessarily recommend that, but it's one of those things where these, if you hire the right customer success professional, you're going to, especially in an early stage, you're going to be able to get, you know, sort of a lot of hats. They're going to be able to wear a lot of hats. What's it, maybe just to to comment a bit, who do you think is the perfect profile of that first person to hire or, or what have you seen work? Yeah. Um, you know, I think, someone who come, you know, um, depending on your industry. So like when I'm looking for somebody, it's, they, they have to have a SaaS background. Yeah. Um, I don't like, I'm not really going to look for someone who hasn't done SaaS before because I think SaaS is its own, um, beast in and of itself. But I really want someone who has, you know, some sort of sales background. They know how to sell, they know how to close. Um, they have the, the account management renewals, um, you know, management training, um, depending on how customized your solution is, they may or may need some sort of it or product background as well. So they, but they'll come out of customer success or, or sales at a SaaS company usually. And they're, yeah. they're probably a individual contributor, right? You wouldn't want to hire in a manager right away, right? Yeah. I don't think you need to hire a manager. I mean, I would look for someone who is a high enough, uh, individual contributor that you could see them growing into that role. Got it. Um, someone that you would really like, you know, who's going to get in and really take charge and really own some of the processes up front. Um, but who you could potentially see growing into that role. Got it. And, and how you talk a little bit about it, do they have to, I mean, most of the, you talk about sort of desk.com and marketing automation and a few other things, they don't have to be super technical unless the product implementation is extremely technical, right? I yeah. Mean, I don't think so. At Bitly, we don't, it, it's not very, you know, engineering heavy to get anyone set up. It's the flip of a few switches. So, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't ever need someone necessarily who has a product background or a IT background. Got it. One of the big questions that comes up in releasing these podcasts and people ask us fairly frequently is the relationship between sales and customer success, you know, especially early on, if I have two SDRs and a, and a director of enterprise sales, and then I close accounts, how, you know, how much do I keep that director of enterprise accounts involved post close? And are they active other than, you know, kind of just keeping in touch and ensuring that their sort of customer is happy. Um, I don't know if you, you or, or how to sort of bitly think about that and what do you think, especially in the early stages of a company's life, um, works or, or sort of doesn't work? Yeah, you know, I think um, a lot of people have really strong views on this. Um, I'm one of them. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, uh, but when I talk to people in the industry, everyone sort of everyone has this question and sort of like, what's the relationship? How do you, the, the first thing I think that's really important is making sure that there is a good relationship. I think, you know, one of the things that's been amazing at Bitly is 
our director of sales and myself like actually are really good friends and we can like sit down in a room and sometimes we don't necessarily agree on things, but we can sort of really, you know, so making sure that those people sort of connect, um, on a personal level. But one of the things that's been really big for us and, and I think these things are going to grow with the company, but building out rules of engagement early on and sticking to those and making sure that everybody knows and understands them. They're going to be iterated on as your company grows, as you add more salespeople, as you add more customer success managers, but making sure that you draw those out. So the way it works at Bitly um, originally was basically once the once that customer was closed, it belonged completely to customer success. Sales was no longer involved. They would sometimes join, you know, an intro call or something right. like that just to, to just do the handoff. Kind of but yeah. everything from that point forward, renewals, upsells, um, growth of the account, that was all on the customer success manager. And that's still about 90% how it works. The other 10% is we've actually designated certain accounts as strategic accounts. And those are accounts that where our senior enterprise sales reps and our senior success managers actually work on them together. And those are going to be like the biggest parent companies. Um, those are going to be like the apples of the world, the NBC universals, Comcast, the, the beasts that you really don't want, you know, sales to necessarily lose the account just because they closed one division of NBC universal. But really the whole goal is to take that one account and turn it into 40 or 50 accounts. Um, so we have strategic accounts there and then we have, but everything else. So, you know, when, when a deal is closed and, you know, the customer success manager goes in and their goal is to get, you know, we only have the U S team using the product now. And our goal is to get, you know, 13 regions around the world. That's all the account managers. And they're going to get comped on that similar to the way. Okay. So will you, so you will make them carry some quota or some, uh, contribution based on that upsell, right? Yep. So my success managers all have quotas. They're small and attainable. Um, or at least I like to think that, but, um, compared to the sales team, but they do have quota responsibilities. They also have MBOs. So it, just kind explain of a, to the, the listeners. Sure. Like, yeah. So they also have their, their business objectives. So right. the way their comp is structured is they obviously have salary. They actually have a bonus pool that's actually team-based um, as well as sort of their individual goal-based. And then they have quotas, which they get paid commission on. Got it. So they're sort of getting the best of both worlds, I like to think of so it. So it's kind of base bonus and then there's a sweetener if you, you know. Exactly. You for the, for the upsells that you're selling. Attainment is, you're, yeah. you hit your quota basically. Yep. And they get paid a commission percentage. It's smaller than the sales team. Um, but it's still, you know, they're still getting a commission percentage. Where, and, and is it clear this sort of just the last question on this that comes up is how do, how do you sort of, is, is the clear rules of engagement really the driving force to prevent salespeople from staying involved or is there any other you know, kind of way you think about this or is that really just it? You know, the rules of engagement are there, but they're there for a reason. And, um, you know, we have run into some challenges and I think a lot of customers have, or a lot of people listening probably have run into these things where, you know, a good example of this, we had a salesperson who sort of went after a company that they didn't realize was owned by a parent company and they presented them with certain like pricing options and things based on the fact that they thought they were sort of a small company. And then we had the parent company come in and say, you know, well, this deal doesn't look, isn't structured like this deal. And we sort of had a uncomfortable back and forth on that. So, um, you know, I think that the reason that a lot of these rules or engagements are here is that, you know, we, it's the customer success managers job to sort of 
know that client, know their subsidiaries, know their goals and objectives, know their contract inside and out. And you don't want a salesperson going in and, you know, real, not realizing that CBS has preferential pricing with us and they close a deal with a CBS brand. And then six months later they come and they say, Hey, based on this contract that I found from talking to my friend, we have preferential pricing and how come I didn't get that? And so how do you, other, other than finding out about this through a, a sales meeting or a customer success meeting, how do you, is there, is there a technical or a way to mitigate that or you just kind of have to minimize it as much as you can? Um, there are a few things that we've done. I mean, making sure that parent accounts are really, you know, in Salesforce and I'll tell my customer success managers that, you know, if the parent account isn't labeled in Salesforce and, um, you know, someone goes and they sign a subsidiary, then it's not necessarily their fault if they couldn't find, you know, that information, um, in our CRM. So, you know, making sure that things are clearly labeled and, um, and obviously that the rules of engagement are clear, but you know, I, there's always going to be edge cases. There's always going to be people who come in and say, well, it's a subsidiary, but they're only owned 48%. And, you know, you're going to have to deal with those as they come up. And I guess it just goes back to your relationship with the head of sales and being the feedback is consistently important, I guess. Right? Exactly. And I think you sort of also have to, you know, we, we got to a point where people were sort of bending the rules enough that we sort of <laughs> made, you know, we, we had a big meeting saying, Hey guys, here are the rules of engagement. Anything closed after this point that breaks these rules, you're not going to get paid on yeah. the, the, the appropriate person will get paid on this deal. And that, that stops your salespeople really quickly. Yeah. Salespeople, <laughs> salespeople always try and break the rules. <laughs> um, Maybe just to pivot yet again, the topic you talked about earlier, which I think is really interesting, is this kind of concept of a holistic customer success manager, customer success director, whatever whatever you call them. Um, how how do they, how do they interface, or or what have you seen sort of that role be as it relates to sort of you know outside of sales? So you talk a little bit about product. How do they liaise with kind of marketing, other areas, and, and why is this kind of a necessity? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think of customer success as like, and this is a little selfish, but like the most well-rounded people in a company, um, because they do have to interface with everybody. So when Bitly decided that we were going to add, um, customer success managers to actually sit on the product teams and probably spend three to four hours in meetings a week with product, you know, that's kind of a difficult decision because everyone's so busy that to take up three or four, but we've seen things improve and our relationship with product improve you know, a hundred times. Um, and we're finally starting to build things that I feel like our customers want and are asking for versus, you know, what's the next cool thing? What's the next best thing? And we're doing it on like actual product feedback. I think, you know, the sales when we are touched on marketing's obviously big because a lot of the stuff that marketing's doing is for us. So whether that be, you know, email marketing to our current clients or event marketing, which is a lot of current clients, um, customer roundtables. Um, things like that, um, you know, and, or even things like building your website and putting customer quotes on your website or case studies, those things are really important, but marketing and customer success sort of have to work together, work together right. in order for that to be successful. I'm not going to let the marketing team go email all of our client base asking for quotes. I want to make sure that, that we're doing that. So that's also part of the, the marketing rules of engagement, I guess. Right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Again, I mean, you asked earlier what the key tools were, and I think the rules of engagement are probably the, <laughs> yeah. the most key for, for all of this. And, and same thing with product. I mean, I think that we sort of have to say, you know, there are times where I'm going to go into a meeting and I'm going to fight, you know, very hard with product for what my clients want and what 
I think is right. But at the end of the day, our chief product officer is going to make a decision and I'm going to support that. Yeah. So, you know, that sort of falls on us too. No, that's super helpful. So maybe just to wrap up and, and think on a macro level about some of this, I mean, have you ever seen this go horribly wrong? I, I know there's a situation that we've had in many of our portfolio companies and, and, around the SaaS world where sales tends to promise uh, or, or sort of overcommit and customer success tends to say, <laughs> why would you do that? And, and hey, now I have to clean up. Um, what, what do you kind of, you know, obviously this leads to churn, but what, what do you sort of tell founders to just watch out for and big issues that they could face, to, you know, where this could go very wrong? Yeah. I mean, I think that's a big one. I think that happens at every company. Um, the sales guys get really ambitious and the product guys get really ambitious and then tell the salespeople like, you can go sell this. It'll be ready in three months. Right. Um, and then we sort of have to walk that back a little bit. I think, um, you know, I think the biggest thing for me is really around like relationships within the company. So, you know, if you, if your sales and, and success teams have a good relationship, your product and success teams have a good relationship, same thing with marketing. Um, hopefully a lot of those challenges will be avoided because people don't, you know, the salespeople don't want their customer success managers running over or going, you know, what the heck did you promise them? You know, they're so pissed off. Right. Um, so a lot of those things can be mitigated, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think we've definitely seen it go wrong and, and it can be lead to an uncomfortable situation, especially when sales oversteps, um, you know, and again, I think it, it sort of all leads back to those rules of engagement. I think if people play by the rules and people genuinely like each other, um, we do a lot of actually sales and success, like we'll, we'll go out for happy hour or we'll do a success in marketing or we'll do success in product and invite some of the product guys to like come have lunch with us and things like that to try to make sure that the relationships are as good as possible. No, that makes sense. Um, you have a theory just about, I, I sort of pose this question of who do you think are the best companies from a customer success standpoint in this sort of SaaS ecosystem? And Whitney informed me before the podcast that uh, there there aren't many or, or there might not be any, just given it's such a new topic and a, and a sort of new component of the SaaS world. Maybe can you just dive into that a little bit more? Yeah, no. And I, and I, I don't mean that there aren't people who aren't doing it well or right. I think it's just, it's very different for different companies and it's something that's being constantly sort of tweaked. I was uh, talking to a customer, a company, there are companies that have popped up SaaS companies that are focused on customer success, right? So you talk about like game sites and Tatangos and yeah. um, those guys out there. And I was talking to uh, one of the head of customer success for Tatango actually. And he said that they did a survey that, you know, last year, like 45% of account managers were doing cross-sells and upsells. And this year it's down to like 32% of account managers are doing cross-sells and upsells and versus letting sales handle that. And what you learn when you read through the literature is that like everyone's sort of changing and evolving and sort of seeing what works for them. And, you know, again, having these people who sort of handle, you know, so many different aspects of the, of the business can be really challenging. And I think it can lead to really great things when it's done well, but it, you know, can be hard because you're, again, it, it, from a hiring standpoint, from a lot of different areas, it can be challenging when you have somebody who has to focus on product sales, account management, and marketing. Yeah. Um, someone who's trying to juggle all of those balls and keep clients happy can be, can be challenging. Sure. So that makes a ton of sense. Um, final thoughts, anything that was not mentioned that the young 
generation of SaaS founders who are listening to this podcast need to know before we break? You know, I think um, just really being like the importance of being customer obsessed, right? I think what happens a lot of times in this, this, you know, and when you see startups, you know, popping up left and right, a lot of them have this great idea and they're really focused on building the cool next awesome thing. But that cool next awesome thing doesn't matter if no one wants to buy it. And if the people who do buy it don't think it's valuable in six months or a year. So I think making sure that, you know, you're focused on the customer and yes, building the next cool, great thing, but making sure that that's based in what the customer wants, what the customer will pay for and sort of based in that reality, I think is, is incredibly important. So just making sure that people are focused on that. Excellent. Whitney Hillier talking about unique angles on customer success. Thanks a lot for coming on the show. Yeah. Thanks for having me.